0: Hello, my name is Jack and you're listening to the Dev90X podcast. Day 21 has ended and sickness update. I have a runny nose, which is a bit weird. I've been sneezing. Like when I say runny, my nose has been running like nonstop. And, um, And the sneezing, I feel like allergy symptoms, but it's obviously related to whatever it is that I've got. Um, and I've crashed again, my energy levels have like really, really crashed down. Uh, I think it's something, something about adrenaline and now I'm not having it, <laughs> something like that. Um, so yeah, in summary, still a little bit sick, but getting better and I'm, I'm sure I'll be I'm sure it'll be great next week. Next week, I've got i I've got a feeling it's gonna be a good one. Other than that, oh yeah, Jack's hack. Jack's hack for today. The M one MacBook Air. I was a bit dubious and I, I researched this for months and I watched countless an embarrassing number of hours of people talking about the M one Air on Well and the Pro just the M1 MacBooks in general on YouTube. And eventually, I decided that I would upgrade. I had a twenty late 2016 MacBook Pro. I paid 2,200 Australian for it at the time, and it was, it was like a five-year upgrade when I bought it. Coming on five years again, I thought that this, this may be the time. And just the M1 Air is just such a hack. Like, it is so much better than the pro and for the price that you pay for it. It's, it's just, it's crazy good value. It's crazy good value. I was, I've just been shocked at like how good the battery life on it, on it is, how fast it is. I didn't expect that it would be able to, to run games, but I ended up playing all the way through Borderlands 2 on it um, with perfect frame rates, like 45 to 60 frame rates consistently all the way through. Um, and that really satisfied a gaming itch that I'd had for a long time. Being a MacBook pro user, it's pretty rare that you, that you get to play games, um, which is kind of a good thing as well, cause you don't spend as much time playing games, but it was kind of nice to have a, a little bit, a little bit of time, um, and to be able to play some games. I'm sure that the next M1 Xs or M2 processors are going to be emphasizing graphic capabilities a lot more, uh, as that seems to be the one thing that they they could that has like the biggest upside on the new models that'll that'll be coming out. Still, it just blows my mind at how how efficient this device is. Just the speed and the battery, and it can. You know, it can still process graphics, and it doesn't even have a fan, and it, it's way cooler. Uh, yeah, it's just if you if you're if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking of upgrading your your MacBook from an older model to a newer model, I think right now the M1 Air is still a steal, and that's because I've made the assumption that the next iteration will be the pro lineup, and the price point will be a lot higher. So I think the M1 Air would still be a competitive buy at the current price point, even when the new ones come out. Um, so unless they drop the new line of M1, of M MacBook Airs, then, then I'd be wrong. But yeah, that's my hack. Um, so I added a new section, in, so we've got progress update, that's cool. Uh, but then I also added in, today I learned. So I had been talking about what I'd been learning in the progress update, it was just a bit disorganized and and bit of a mishmash of all just various dot points from the day before. So now I have, today I learned. And I've got three points here. Today I learned that in Xcode, the one that I'm running, the latest one, you can compile Swift 5, Swift 4.2, and Swift 4. So I didn't know that you can compile the code down into different versions. You can compile different versions of Swift. Um, And that can potentially be helpful for me to fix some errors from testing old code from GitHub and from different tutorials around the web. As I said in, in a previous episode, that Swift, when they when they've been up, updating the language and ma- making new major releases, that it's been breaking the previous releases. Uh, so it hasn't done. They haven't done so many. I mean, they're only at Swift five, but it seems like it seems like they're constantly breaking the language because a lot of the tutorials on Swift are from 2017. In 2018 and they're not, they're not financially incentivized to keep updating all their tutorials. So yeah, it just seems like there's a lot of broken code on the internet in tutorial form. So that was cool. I learned that. And, um, also listening to the podcast this morning, Swift by Sundell. I learned that there's three major different ways to build UI layouts. You've got zips, you've got storyboards, and you've got pure code. So I guess in Xcode, storyboards is your visual UI builder where you can visually build the screens, add buttons, and work with the actual visual output. And it'll be building the code underneath, so kind of like a no-code editor. I don't know what zips are, so I still have to learn that. But I'm very familiar with pure code. You can also build your UI just just by writing the code for the UI itself. And this is pretty common in web development as well. So nothing new there. But apparently, storyboards is the way to go. To be honest, I'm I started listening to the podcast from the very beginning. So I'm still I'm still actually listening to content from 2017, uh, which might be a little bit old now and maybe outdated, but but apparently with storyboards it's a way to go because it, it enables you to much, much more rapidly iterate across different screen sizes and to configure your layout for all the different device screen sizes that Apple has. Uh, whereas with writing the pure code for that, it'll take a little bit longer to do that. Swift by Sundell seems to be the best podcast. I haven't listened to too many. I've listened to like three or four different iOS development podcasts now, and I am most satisfied with this one. It's it's probably in line with Syntax, uh, the Syntax podcast, which is in the web development space, uh, which I found to be it's just a really high quality web development podcast. So this one, yeah, I've I've been pretty happy with that. So if you're interested in in learning about iOS development, my current recommendation for a podcast is. Swift by Sundell. Progress update. So yesterday, it became apparent to me that building on my iPad would be slow and full of UI inconsistencies, especially considering I'm building an app for iPhone that I do not intend to ship on iPad uh, at all. (laughs) So building on the iPad makes it difficult. very difficult, actually. I thought it' would be easy, but as I'm starting to do it now, I'm realizing that no, <laughs> it's not it's not easy, definitely not. And it just seems to be a just a very inefficient way to build an iPhone app. Uh, ordinarily, you can just use the emulator. So I guess giving this out as a piece of advice or something that I've learned um, doesn't really It doesn't make sense for everyone who's looking into getting into iOS development and iPhone development because for a lot of use cases, you can just use the emulator, uh, which gives you the perfect layout, and you can emulate all your different devices on the Mac itself. But because I'm building a camera app, and this app really does require um, access to the, the (coughs) the actual hardware API, of the device, um, that's why I need an actual device to develop. And it's one of those things. If you if your app depends heavily on hardware APIs, then sometimes the emulator just doesn't doesn't really cut it. So in this case, I yesterday I was like, all right, this would be so much easier if I had an iPhone, because I don't have an iPhone. Even though I've got an iPad and a MacBook, don't have an iPhone. I've had an Android phone for a long time. Uh, Galaxy S9 and before that a Galaxy S7 and before that an iPhone I had an iPhone before that (laughs) which was stolen in Nepal so it's been a long long time since I've had an iPhone and I months ago I decided that I just want to be in the ecosystem I just want my phone to be in the ecosystem it's going to help me out with honestly the biggest thing airdrop that is the biggest thing just AirDrop and Apple Notes. Those are the two things that I'm like, all right, it's worth it. If I can just have one note app that syncs all my notes across all my devices rather than using Google Keep on my phone and then Apple Notes on my MacBook and my iPad. Uh, yes, like a couple of little things where I'm like, all right, worth it. So months and months ago, I decided I was, gonna, I was going to make my next, next phone an iPhone. This is even before I decided that I'm going to build an iPhone app, and uh, so now it ca- it comes to the point where I have I have a need, or even a stronger need, to get one. I thought about buying a cheap one or borrowing one from a friend who has a spare, uh, just for the development process. But then I thought, oh gosh, I'm gonna buy, I'm going to buy an iPhone as my primary phone anyway, so why not just kill two birds with one phone and buy my next phone now? So I did. That's what I did yesterday. Buying Apple products in Indonesia is always a bit of a mission. (laughs) Um, But it doesn't really have to be. But I went into Denpasar again yesterday. And every time you go into Denpasar, it is a bit of a mission. So that was most of my day yesterday. I spent a good four hours of my day just acquiring a new iPhone. I picked up the iPhone 12 128 gigabyte model in blue, and I paid 14.5 million Indonesian rupiah, which is about uh, 1,450 Australian dollars, which is about (laughs) about a grand US for this model. Apple products are a lot more expensive in in, in Indonesia uh, because the government pay, request requires that you that you pay a tax an additional tax on them. So, got my iPhone. I still haven't unboxed it except for in the shop when they put the pr- the screen protector on it. And then this morning, I I did, I was like, I need a case, so I went and bought a case for it and here we are that brings me to now I I still haven't unboxed my iPhone and my next job is to to get my yoga vision app up and running on my my iPhone so that's that that's what I'll be working on today other than that life update I am actually finding it tough to break my evening habit of watching movies and TV shows before bed. A few days ago I decided that I would read Bahasa in place of that as my evening wind down activity that's still kind of productive. And I just, I don't know. I just like reading in the morning over reading in the evening because it's a nice gentle way to like come, come up and come into the day. And Mm I, I, When I'm winding down at nighttime, I just don't read a lot and it takes me a long time to get through a book book because I fall asleep really quickly. (laughs) So in a way, it's, it's great for falling asleep, but not so great for enjoying the story and also studying. So my Bahasa progress has slowed because I've stopped reading in the morning so that I can have a little bit more time for development. And last point is that I have been thinking about what my income strategy will be after the 90 day challenge. And I thought that the best position for me, given that, given that, okay, just projecting forward, handstander is a good concept and people enjoy it. It has, it has its niche value in the market and it's worth building. Let's just project out this scenario that it is worth building in that scenario I will need more money to build it. So I'll either need investors to pay my salary or pay my life expenses while I build out a Handstander and have no other income or I move to part-time working on Handstander and then part-time something else. And I was thinking the best strategically, the best the thing I could do would be to be a part-time freelance iOS developer working on someone else's project, ideally in a small dev team so that I can learn rapidly. And during the time that I'm working for someone else, I'm also increasing my skills, which then translate over to increased productivity for working on, on my app. And so right now, I can't actually think of a better strategy than that. Um, given given the, the the hypothetical scenario of handstander is worth it. <laughs> uh, if in the case that something happens and it's totally not worth it, then I will need a different strategy, and it'll probably be it'll still be development. It'll still be dev something, either iOS or Android, or maybe I'll go and learn Flutter. Maybe I'll just stick to a vanilla. Web development. Um, it'll be dev something, but I'm not sure exactly exactly what it will be. I've got I've got a huge backlog of ideas that I'm super passionate about, so no no shortage of ideas there. <laughs> uh, just the platform will be an interesting an interesting one. Overall, I'm still thinking that the best strategy to become a developer is just to be really fast at learning, like. If you can if you can just be a developer and be extremely efficient with learning new skills, then then you'll be fine. You'll always be able to to fit into any team, to get a job, to always have a job. Um, I think that is the most important thing. And so I do want to start focusing a little bit more on speed of learning and optimizing my strategies for learning things faster. One of the things that I've used extensively with learning languages is an app called Anki, or a process called Spaced Repetition. Uh, And I know that there are some developers out there that also have used this. Um, It's just a really efficient way of getting bits and pieces of information into your long-term memory and making them really fast and readily accessible for you to recall. Which is exactly what you need when you're aiming to become fluent in a spoken foreign language and speaking a foreign language or read or understanding, uh, comprehending a foreign language. Um, Because you have, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of information points that need to be strongly remembered. Um, And it's very similar with development, except that it's not as black and white with development and learning this skill set, you've got so many. Like, you basically, if you if you were to compare it apples to apples of learning foreign languages to learning to be a, a you know a software engineer. Being a software engineer is like you would have to be learning you know twelve plus foreign languages. in, in a sense, because you're learning different tools, different technologies, different stacks, different design patterns, different data structures. There's all of these separate individual things that you need to learn that overlap, but they, they're they not like, um, you can't just learn one, right? So with me and learning Bahasa, a strategy that is effective for me is to just read books and just continuously read books and, and that will work. I will become fluent in Bahasa, both uh, comprehension but reading, listening, and spoken. If I just continuously read books, all of the words, all of the grammar, all of the patterns of the language will slowly but surely become cemented in my mind, and I'll be able to use them. Uh, and I've had this experience with, you know, with learning Japanese. I've had this experience with learning Spanish, and I know it works. But uh, It's just not the same with with software engineering. And so I'd love to use Anki. I'd love to use SRS, but I haven't found a great way to do that yet. I will still endeavor to try, though. So that is it for today. Uh, It's Friday today, and tomorrow, again, I am heading down to Uluwatu for another weekend with my friends and I'm going to have a great time. It's going to be awesome. Um, And the challenge, the challenge of continuing the daily podcasting and the daily progress updates continues over the weekend. So thanks for listening, everyone, and I will talk to you tomorrow.